I'm John David Birdall. And I'm Zach Coleman. And this is Comic Space, the only place in the whole galaxy where you can tune in, where you can geek out, and where you can learn something new about comics every week. Friends and comic book readers, this is Zach Coleman along with John Burdall, um, the ever dapper, the ever charming. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of work into how I look. And and it is well appreciated, oh, even though I see you and you can't see me at this point. But I just want you to know that you you are a very handsome man. Um, and today, what, well, what are we talking about today? We're talking about... The less known but still highly appreciated indie comics. The ones that aren't in the mainstream uh, zeitgeist, the ones that might have slipped past. Um, we thought it'd be great to, you know, put a spotlight on them and, and give some appreciation to the lesser known ones. At least the personal ones that I've, uh, I've read that I get into um, just from a break um in the you know like the dc marvel um cycle for better or worse you know the endless loop of you know the story changes and then goes back around to the same yeah. status quo and that sometimes happens with more of the mainstream comics i mean let's face it Peter parker isn't going to be getting any order anytime soon so <laughs> <laughs> and that's what i was thinking yeah certain characters just can't go away yeah, way. I mean, just too much. Right? It, it happens. I'm not saying that change doesn't happen. I mean, you look at Superman and Batman. I mean, you know, Robin's been able to grow up and become Nightwing, and now it's we're on the third, no, fourth Robin who actually is, is uh, yeah, because you had um, Wayne, Dick Grayson, okay. you had Jason Todd, you had Tim Drake, and now we have Damian Wayne, who is actually his son. So now it's our fourth one. And then you get like certain characters like Superman, who is now has his own family, his own son, yeah. who is also now a teenager when he was just a child. So, you know, not to say that change doesn't happen, sure, but it's a very long process, yeah. very long process. So uh, with indie comics, you sort of have this... Um, uh, allowed to change allowed to develop yeah. um, in certain cases where you don't necessarily get that and you also have you know more freedom um, in your storytelling um, where if you were to go to talk to Marvel um, go to work for them the question is going or the, the, the statement's going to be you work with our characters um, if you have some new characters you want to bring in, unless you're someone like Brian Michael Bendis, um, they're not really going to be uh, interested in that. You know, you kind of have to work within their uh, work with their toys. Yes. In yeah. their sandbox. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, you can make up some characters. Again, uh, Brian Michael Bendis comes to mind. He's been able to develop some of his own unique characters. Paul Dini is another one. Um, yep, yep. He, he created Harley Quinn mm-hmm. within the, the Batman animated series and has now become a staple. So sometimes you can get away with it, but you it almost seems like you have to have a name for, you know, or you have to have proven yourself. Am I right in that es- in estimation? Yeah, as far as I know, you know, it's, uh, my goodness. I was just looking up, uh, not to what evade your question. It's like, yeah, you have to have some sort of clout or you have to, yeah, you have to have, you know, um, uh, really proved that, yeah, you can create something that's really going to resonate, you know, create a character or create some sort of scenario that's going to resonate or really that's going to touch people. And yeah, Paul Dini did that. And now... You know, it's like Harley Quinn. We see more Harley Quinn than Joker, which I do believe is a good idea anyway. Yeah. And speaking of developing, you know, it's she's been allowed to develop. She's been uh, allowed to develop outside the abusive relationship with the Joker and who now Joker has an, a new henchwoman. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Punch okay. Out. This happened just within like last year or so. My goodness. Yeah. I haven't yeah. been reading too many of you were talking about mainstream. We're talking about mainstream and indie comics. Yeah. I've been working so much on the comic, like limited comic series uh, that I was supposed to be working on that I wasn't reading too much. And it's probably the same for you. I know you've been reading some, but. Yeah, yeah, it's selective. Once, and I've had other people um, talk about this as well. It's like you have a certain amount of time and you get very, very selective. Brian Michael Bendis, uh, not the main drop. And. and... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I mean, you know, you. <laughs> I, I, I talk yes. the person, talk about the person. You know? Yes, um, but yes, uh, he he was very much the same way. He's like, look, I have only so much time to read things and stuff like that, so I'm going to, you know, not waste it. Um, so yeah, with me, it was very much, you know, selecting my kind of uh, of reading material. And I try to stay up to date as much as I can, even if it's just reading like a synopsis, just to see, hey, where are these characters now? Where are they going? What have I missed? Um, So, and now it gets to the point where, at least in my life, um, I can't keep up with, you know, the the month long stuff. Yeah. You know, the month issues or whatever. So I just wait until like the graphic novel, so it's a complete story, and then I read it in that uh, limited time I have. And that seems to be working out better for me now. Well, that's good with my schedule but yes um so yeah with indie comics you you get that sort of um freedom that you may not get with sort of the mainstream stuff and you get to develop your own stories your own characters allow them to um, essentially play out the way you you want them to play out i mean if you want to go this one direction and you're choosing like Spider-Man is like, well, we don't think that this character would go this way, or we think he should go into this other way, or we did this already. And that's another problem with the mainstream comic books. It's like you, when you're dealing with the same character again and again and again, it's like you kind of run into that rut of how do we make this same story different, you know? So with um, indie comics, there is uh, sort of a break from the mainstream tradition. And I thought it'd be great to go through some at least my personal favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just and, about to ask about some of them, but you had you had already told me about some of them. But it's like I can mention like one named Seven to Eternity. That's that's something 
Yes, uh, oh. Seven to Eternity was one. Um, it's a limited series, and I think they actually just uh, they just released their uh, final issue. I think it was like seventeen. Oh. Yeah, so it is now a complete story. Oh, Don't sorry. you know? Quote me on that, but um, they have had some hiatus, and that's another thing with dealing with indie comics. It's like sometimes. Um, it's just the writer and the artist and they produce it through an independent company like Dark Horse or um, uh, Image is another one um, so you run into problems um, um, some lagging but here's the actual um, synopsis from 17 Attorney um, to give you an idea of what we're talking about um, God of Whispers has spread an omnipresent paranoia to every corner of the kingdom of Zal. His spies hide in every hall, spreading mistrust and fear. Amodysus, a dying knight from a disgraced house, must choose between joining a hopeless band of magic users and their desperate bid to free the world from an evil god or accepting his promise to give Adam everything his heart desires. Um, so right off the bat, the thing that struck me about this series um, was it's just uniqueness and um, characters and, and world building. And the best way I can describe this one is a an alien western, and that's often been described um, in this with this uh, this particular story. And it also goes back to um, harking to what we said earlier in another podcast about uh, flawed heroes and heroic villains, and this definitely fits into the bill. Okay. He's not your standard hero type, I'm doing good for the sake of good. He's conflicted. Um, he makes some bad choices in life, not entirely for selfish reasons, but for selfless reasons. Um, so there's definitely more of a struggle to it. And honestly, I, when reading this, couldn't help but think of, um, of I guess, parallels to our own world and just how the, the villain works, spraying lies and deceit, mistrust, all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't help but think of, you know, the 2016 elections and, and politics with Trump coming in and just even now all the, the mistrust and disillusionment is is played very much in this series. And anytime I think an independent comic or any comic, any story yeah. can and can use parallels into the real world, um, I think it grounds it and it makes it more believable and, and relatable. Yes. As it ought to, too. That's a good idea, you know, because if it's too, what, unreal? You know, if it's just too fantastic right yeah it, it may not gain any traction with some people you know it's just kind of like well i can't believe this you know there's mm -hmm. suspension of disbelief i can't it's like yeah i can suspend my disbelief but i absolutely just cannot believe anything that's happening in this story you know there's nothing i can hold on to or right there's no solid ground to it right okay. yeah yeah definitely i mean it's just you know uh you take any of the big comic books or even movies, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the most fantastical thing I, in the movie genre, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking Star Wars. Um, you know, laser swords and people in long black robes 
and helmets and spaceship vials and stuff like that. I mean, how fantastical can you get? Yes. The Force, you know, all that kind of stuff. But people saw themselves within Luke Skywalker. It's like, yeah, I'm that kid who's stuck in that farmhouse. You know, I want to get out. I want to get free. I want to go see the world. Uh-huh. And I think there's something relatable with that. And then, of course, you have the scoundrel um, of Han Solo, who people can see. Yeah, I, I, I do that. That's me. Um, <laughs> and another thing, too, is like with Princess Leia, I think there was a lot of women who saw themselves in that, too. It's like, I mean, here's this strong woman character um, that I never really got to see. It's, you know, she's not the damsel in the stress. Nope. And uh, especially with nowadays, it's it's very much relevant. Um, very good. So so yeah, I mean, it, for those aspiring writers out there, whether it's comic books or just books in general, whatever story you're writing, I think if you add a level of realism, a parallel to our world, um, because that's what stories do. I think your story will will be better for it. I mean, our stories. Our storytelling has been uh, a tradition since the dawn of time, since we've been able to speak um, and they help um, explain the world around us in myths and legends and and whatnot. So it's a way for us to help understand the world, Mm -hmm. uh, to cope with it and to relate, not with just the world, but people around us. So that that would be my advice of the day. Yes, and that's that's good advice, you know, and succinctly what I'm hearing, you know, is that yeah, tell a story, you know, that that can mean something to people, right? That mm-hmm. can teach a person, right? That can inform a person, that can warn a person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean our what is it, uh, the um, old grim fairy tales. Uh-huh. Um, they were meant to warn us about the evils of the world. I mean, that was their their essential goal. Yeah. It's like there are, there are bad things out there. They used it in the trope of, you know, ogres and witches and trolls and stuff like that. But they warned us at such a young age in a way of, yeah, there are these monsters out there. So, um, yeah, anytime you can use that real world... Um, experience that parallel um i I think your story is better for it and again uh, another tidbit would be to use your own experience i think um with this writer i don't know um who who did this uh yes uh jeremy opina and richard remender um i don't necessarily know their experience but just going off of the um the Western feel. Um, I would not be surprised if one of them has a love for Westerns. Yeah. I mean, even in the title, it's Seven to Eternity. Okay, I was about to ask, like, are you talking about Seven to Eternity? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, just right there, was it Seven to Yuma? Wasn't that the Western I'm thinking of? Uh, 310? 310 to Yuma? I think so, maybe. 
I could look it up, but you know, we're really yeah. more about indie comics. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, get, I get what you mean. I, I, I get what you're going or where you're. So going. I mean, but yeah, uh, you know, just personal experiences. I would not be surprised if uh, one of these guys was not into a western. So that being said, we should, unless you have any other questions, we can move on to our next one. Oh yeah, and so that's what I was going to do. You were talking about like uh, fairy tales and folk tales, and you know, probably like classical storytelling or something. Yeah. Like that. And then there's Once and Future King. Yes. So um, that yeah, that goes back into like the old legends and stuff like that. Okay. I I'm a big fan of the Arthurian legend. You know, King Arthur and like yes. hardcore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think actually that was like one of the first um, legends I ever heard. Um, one of the first stories he's going for back as a wee lad that I was I remember my mother um, sitting on the side of my my bed and she would read from this giant book of King Arthur um, which I still have by the way Um, but yes this um, this is definitely um, plays big on the Arthurian legend but it um takes it in a different slant and i'll go ahead and read this synopsis you have here uh when a group of nationalists use an ancient artifact to bring a villain from arthurian myth back to the back from the dead to gain power ex-monster hunter bridget mcguire escapes her retirement home and pulls her unsuspecting grandson duncan a museum curator into a world of magic and mysticism to defeat a legendary threat um, this is by uh, Kieran Gilliam and Dan Mora as the artist. Okay. Um, Carry on, I believe is how you pronounce it. Has done things from Wicked plus Divine, Star Wars, mm-hmm. and Dan Mora has done some work for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Cool. But what it does is it subverts the expectation of um, the Arthurian legend, and okay. me be it, well. Me being the traditionalist that I am, um, and usually like I want my good guys to be good guys, but in this instance, it turns King Arthur into a villain. Whoa! Is that a is that a huge like surprise? Is that a spoiler? No, no, that's not a spoiler. Oh, okay. it, it, it comes in pretty much pretty soon. Okay. Um, but um, it also deals heavily with stories. Oh. Um, the story of uh, Arthur, the story of Beowulf and the Grendel, oh. and stuff like that, and then certain people fitting these archetypes um, in regards to these stories. Like the this grandson Duncan ends up playing as uh, Percival, I believe, or oh. filling in for one of those roles, and it kind of happens throughout the story, and oh. other stories pop up as well. So, I mean, it, it's interesting. It, it's really an inventive take on the old uh, legend of King Arthur. Just, again, subverting expectations and saying, hey, what if what we thought of the Undying King resurrecting, um, because that's the old legend, um, what if he was a bad guy? Um, and a supernatural threat. And sort of this, this um, hidden history to it. Yes. Uh, a theme that I play through uh, or play with in one of my stories that I hope to publish. Yep. Yeah. Um, for those who have been following me on um, Instagram, will know of my uh, Avalon series and the story I hope to publish one day. Um, 
having to deal a lot with like this, this hidden history of this old legend. So uh, I would highly recommend that. And the art's just amazing. I really love it. And it's one of those stories where I can see it being uh, produced as a movie and can see certain characters and those roles. And I just wish the mother is played by Helen. Uh, who is it? Uh, oh, now I forgot her name. Helen Miram. Oh, I was, was about to ask, like, because she was in Excalibur. She was in Excalibur. She yes. played Morgan. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like, I was going to ask, are you talking about Helen Mirren? <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> it, it's one of those things, I can't remember if we talked about this, but a, a character taking a life on their own and becoming human, almost. And she's one of those examples where I can just see Helen playing this role really, really well. Um, and very much having that attitude. So it's like, if they ever have any idea to cast her, it's like, it's, it's her and no one else. Okay. So it goes, um, it goes to show that the type of development these people are making with their characters and they're definitely going in the right direction, in my opinion. That's great. And so birthright. I've got Birthright here. Birthright, yes. Birthright is another one that's being published through, I believe it's Image. Yep, that's what it says. And I'm just looking at links that you had sent me. These were you know, comics you had recommended to me, and I am going to check them out, especially now that you've been talking about them. Yes, definitely. Um, and also, I would say to you uh, out there, if you have any recommendations, there are so many out there that I'm not even mentioning just because of time-wise. I mean... Uh, Lock and Key is another one mm -hmm. um, that I would highly recommend. From Stephen King's son, if I remember correctly. Uh, oh, I didn't have the book here. Sorry, uh, reading. Um, but Lock and Key is another graphic novel that's been done by mm -hmm. him. Joe Hill yeah. is his pen name um, that I would highly recommend, but I just don't have the time. Um, so, yeah, if you guys have anything. Um, Send us an email, and we'll gladly look into it and talk about it. Oh, yes. Um, but yes, Birthright, um, here's the synopsis for that one. Okay. For the Rose family, losing their son was the most devastating thing that could have ever occurred, but it couldn't prepare them for what would happen when he returned. So what happens is um, their oldest son was about 10 and just disappears one day. Hmm. Um, and it follows them a year later uh the family's kind of broken apart the mother and father on the verge of divorce oh. depressed blaming each other um pretty the grounded. father well yeah pretty grounded um yes. you know something tragic happens and it it has the unfortunate possibility of breaking relationships the father feels bad feels guilty the, the wife feels like he's to blame and it just gets toxic and to the point where this stranger comes along, um, this barbarian type, and he comes to you and says, hey, I'm your lost son. And that's compelling just right there alone. Yeah. Um, here we have, you know, a very bearded, very long haired, very Conan the Barbarian-esque type guy coming back and saying, I'm your 10 year old son that you lost a year ago. <laughs> um, and it has to deal with, um, destiny 
that's another main theme of this of this book and questioning destiny okay. at least that's how the authors of the book have um, gone on to describe it Joshua Williamson and Andrea Brennan Bressan as the artist um, this is one of those those stories where I just love the artwork um, and it pulled me in right away um, it's very unusual unique and I would say even dark when it needs to be dark because what happens is he gets pulled into this other world that's essentially a, a living nightmare oh. I mean, yeah it's not supposed to be something that you know a 10 year old supposed to face no um, and the art really reflects that and I've always been a big fan of getting the right artist for the right story Yep. And this is one of the things that, speaking of uh, Lock and Key, that kind of turned me off at the beginning of that. Because I had picked it up, just interested in it, and the art just didn't really fit to me. I mean, the first issues of those, or first pages of those, um, is dealing with a grisly murder, and the artwork just didn't work for me. So I put it off back to, onto the shelf and didn't look at it for years until I actually read a synopsis of that one and said okay i'll give it a shot mm -hmm. um this one right here was totally the opposite um the artwork was very stunning the story was very great it wasn't your traditional story um in the way of you know there's a hero being a hero um again subverting expectations and making um, the hero flawed whereas the villain is once again played off as the hero okay um so it, it does definitely puts your hero our heroes because the family ends up getting involved too through trials and tribulations and go things go through things that you wouldn't expect in a, a regular mainstream comic book yeah. um so Although sometimes, I mean, more and more I'm seeing in mainstream that they are kind of doing that a little bit more. Yeah. In some instances where they do kind of play them off as, you know, what are you doing? Why would you do this way? And sort of like the redemption arc later on comes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of characters right off the top of my head. Um, oh, uh, uh, Doc Ock seems to be one character. Um, they're kind of experimenting on because of the story he ends up getting a new body um, and becoming sort of like an anti-hero um, for those who aren't aware Doc Hawk here recently I want to say five years ago or so took over Peter Parker's body Spider-Man and played off of him for a while okay and then once he found his own body, he kind of went on to do his own thing as a hero. Yeah. So uh, it, it seems like, at least with Marvel, they are trying to play around with those not so, um, I want to say innocent, but definitely flawed heroes, definitely yeah. redemption stories. Um, and this is one of those, with, going back to uh, Birthright, where you're not sure things happen um, uh, where you question the heroes um, you question the good guys in a sense yeah. and try to understand where their intentions are 
and whatnot. So it's very compelling. It's a very interesting story. I highly recommend all three of these, any ones that I mentioned, to just, if you're if you're just kind of burned out or looking for something different from the mainstream comics, these are definitely ones that you'd want to, I'd recommend checking out and, you know, taking a break and enjoying the storytelling. Uh, a lot of these are, um, are if not wrapping up, um, are on the verge of wrapping up. I think the only one that's still ongoing is Once in Future. Um, I think that's an ongoing one for a while. But with Birthright, they have 50 issues and they're done. Yeah. Um, Seven to Attorney, like I said, I think it just released uh, chapter or issue 17 and they're done at oh. the end of their story. So you definitely have a chance to you know go out, get the graphic novels or the digital copies, whatever floats your fancy. And just sit down and enjoy it and not have to wait, um, you know, month after month and trying to remember the story. Just like I said, uh, just sit down and enjoy it. Yeah, Yeah, we can post links to those in the description. Yes, definitely. definitely. People can check them out. I did go to um, comicbookresources.com. Okay, do you you take a look at that site sometimes? Um, it it's doesn't CBR, ring a bell. Like it's like big yellow letters, and sometimes oh I, yeah, sometimes I check it out. Sometimes I don't. I found ten comics every fan should read that are not Marvel or DC. I just found that one. Okay, I'm not gonna go through every one of these, but one of them I had been reading, right? Because <laughs> before we had been recording, you'd ask me like, well, you know, talk about we could talk about indie comics that we've been reading, and for me, I was like, I don't know what I I haven't really been reading indie ones, but then I looked at this list, okay. And one of them I had been reading. So I'm just going to start at 10, okay? And yeah. the one. I'm not going to read the synopses for all these. But it's like, number 10 is um, Umbrella Academy. Oh, another good one. Yep, number 9 is Paper Girls. Not familiar with that one. Uh, number 8 uh, is Ether. Okay. Uh, number 7, Death Be Damned. Hmm. Number 6, They're Not Like Us. Whoa. <laughs> no one's like us, my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For this one, I'll read a little bit of the description, I guess, synopsis. For those that appreciate their mutant stories edgier, with some of the polish found in, say, the X-Men franchise, without some of the polish found in, say, the X-Men franchise, they'll enjoy They're Not Like Us, the Eisner-nominated story about those in the world that are born with certain abilities but aren't necessarily compelled to take up a cape and cowl to protect it. Nice. There's that one. And that was They're Not Like Us. That's number six on this list. Number five is eight. And I'm not really certain what that's about. And I'm not going to read. <laughs> I'm not going to read that a lot. But that's one that could be checked out. It's number five on comicbookresources.com's list of ten, ten comics that everyone should read. Right? Wasn't that should? Isn't that what they said? Yep, should read. Everyone should read. So, okay, number four Generation Gone. There's that one. Number three, Punk Mambo. <laughs> Number I like two. The title of that one. What was that? I said I like the title of that one. Oh yeah, Punk Mambo. How about I read that one then? What that's about. So a fresh take on the Constantine model of supernatural sleuth and exorcist, Punk Mambo follows the adventures of the t- titular character, a hard-living voodoo priestess from London. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah that's something to check out I suppose I I could hopefully I can number two out of ten is Chew 
And number one, and that's the one that I had been reading, was Saga. Ah, yes, Saga. Yes, so I had had read some of Saga, and you know what? I'll read, I I went to, there we go, Image. There we go. So imagecomics.com, and I'll read what that's about, okay? So Saga is an epic space opera fantasy comic book series created by the writer Brian K. Vaughn and artist Fiona Staples. Published monthly by Image Comics, the series is heavily influenced by Star Wars and based on ideas Vaughn conceived both as a child and as a parent. (laughs) I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, again, it it goes back to, you know, real world experiences. Yep. Yep. Influencing your work and just being relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember so much hype about this saga and I have... I've yet to read it. Um, I did try and get into it at, at one point, um, but it was just time restrictions and that kind of stuff. It just it didn't work out it, for whatever reason. You know, you know, things happen in life. But um, yeah, that is definitely one that has um, very high regards. Uh, no one I've known about who has heard about it, has read it, has said anything bad about it. So that's definitely one to check out. Yes, and that's what I had found. That was one that that held my, as far as I know, my attention doesn't really wane or wander that much. But it's like that really held me. Like you, it's like compelling. You know, something that's compelling. Yeah, that compelled me to read it. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's how you have a good story. Yeah, it's just you you have everyone talking about it, and they say we want more. Yes. So that's yeah. That's definitely on the list. Mm-hmm. I think we should put up a link for that as well. Yes, I will. And I'll read what the story's about since we were just talking about like a great story. So yeah. it depicts two lovers from long warring extraterrestrial races. Is it Alana and Marco? Fleeing authorities from both sides of a galactic war as they struggle to care for their newborn daughter, Hazel, who occasionally narrates the series. <laughs> Very Shakespearean. I yes. do remember that aspect of it. It's just yeah. like it's Capulets versus the Montagues. Star-crossed lovers, right? Is that yeah? Yep. Yeah. Literally, they're like. <laughs> it, it takes it very little, very literal. Yes. Yes. Interpretation. So yeah, I mean, it's just uh, taking what you know, taking your own experiences, and and putting it through your own perspective. Like, and it's it's writing what you know. It's writing only the what you can write. No one else can write that experience for you. And that's what makes it unique and fresh. And that's what a lot of indie comics um, deliver sometimes that you can't really get with mainstream. So, um, yes, definitely check these out. Um, highly recommended by me and everyone else. Not to single myself out here and to say that. I'm the absolute authority, but um, highly recommended. We'll put links in the description for this podcast if you're interested. And check them out and enjoy your time at reading these great stories. Hey, John here, and I'm sitting with Noel Scotch Anderson. And so, so, Noel, do you do you prefer Noel or Scotch? Uh, please call me Sir. Sir. No, okay. <laughs> sure. Yes, I'll no, do Scot- that. Scotch is good. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, so Scotch, thank you, thank you so much, and thank you so much for sitting with me, you know, on this Walmart purchased 
John, I love it. Yes, it's great. Yep, it, was, yep. it was inexpensive and yet it's very comfortable. It's and, comfy, it's cozy. Yes. Is that product placement? Did I just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope you're getting a cut. <laughs> oh goodness, that's great. That's great. And so uh, we're gonna be chatting about really being an indie, indie comic producer, you know, and I've I've I suppose dabbled. You've had much more experience with that. Yeah, I was looking at your lash lightning here. Oh, it's yes. pretty, it's good stuff. Yes, I do believe it turned out well. Right, so, and you write, and you and you, uh, you obviously have a background in, in illustration. You've been, what, you've got a degree? Yeah, yeah, I got my degree in uh, 2012 from MSU, and that was drawing. Like, I finally just decided drawing, because I took that many classes, and I just had to be done. Yeah. You know? And it's like, and it's not like I was trying to hide in college. <laughs> I don't know, please do let me know what your experience yeah. has been with school. But. Uh, my, my, so I used to just draw in study hall all the time in high school, and I would get a, a teacher that would pull me aside and say, what's the matter, Anderson? You ain't got anything better to do than draw them funny pictures? They used to make me so mad because I'm working on something here. You know, I'm not wasting my time. So when I first got published, I really felt a certain achievement like, you know what? Sitting in study hall drawing these funny pictures got me published. So, ha, ah, to that oh, teacher. Oh, yeah. goodness. <laughs> oh, who's... Was it last lap or something like that? It's like who's who's having who's got the last lap? Now or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'm sure he wouldn't be be too impressed, but whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I consider that sort of dabbling. You know, it's like yeah, I I had been writing comics and I was involved in an organization or a club uh, at Minnesota State University Moorhead. There. Yeah. Uh, we. I, uh, I really it, it had it had begun before I had joined it, but I I really did my best to turn it into something that would be so encouraging, so informative, and so um, necessary for individuals who are going to make a career. And, that was, and both you and Zach were in that club, yes, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah we were so both. I would see you guys at, uh, at ValleyCon and FM, FM Comic Con and all yeah. the things. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that's where that's where you and I had first met. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much again for, I guess, remembering me. It's like, <laughs> that's great. I'm just sort of being like obsequious. Oh, you're not, very for, you're not very forgettable, John. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> of course, I get that too. It's always like, oh, here's the guy with the hair. But no, I, I certainly remember you at those. And, and, and that's what's exciting about those comic cons is getting to meet other people that are into the same thing that you're into. Yes. You know, when you talk about independent uh, comic creation, mm -hmm. I feel that that's what it's all about. If you're a creative person and, and uh, you know you got that drive to create, sitting and waiting around for somebody to scoop you up and, and, and beg you to, to uh, do illustration for their for their piece or whatever, that's probably not going to happen. So it's it's better to pursue that on your own, whether you're self publishing or or you know sometimes you just you just do stuff because you feel like you got to do it. You uh -huh. know, yeah. Mm -hmm. For me too, I never really got the whole. I mean, I understand in the, the big companies they got a, a, a process. It's where you know somebody writes, somebody pencils, somebody inks, somebody colors, all that sort of thing. But I really grew up reading a lot of underground comics where it would all be done by one person, like Robert Crumb or Gilbert Sheldon. They would do the comic book themselves. They'd write it. They they draw it and ink it. Yep, so yep. that's just kind of what I've always done. Yes, and I was going to ask you about that. So let me just like ask you right now. It's like so. Uh, this will lead, okay, I've got a question about like traditional, I'm just going to say traditional physical comics mm -hmm. and digital, okay? I'll save that one. But first, it's kind of like, how much time does that take now for you to write, draw, you know, and then eventually print something? Um, a lot of times when I start working on something, I don't necessarily know what it's for. I will start working on a, a strip or a comic and I'm just 
just doing it to do it, sure. you know. And by the time I'm done, I realize that, oh, this took me you know, a couple of months to finish this up. <laughs> Maybe I want to print this and do something with it. Oh, so, yes. yeah, Sinkhole, there was a period where I wasn't working in radio. I'd got fired unceremoniously oh. there. So I had a few months where I wasn't doing anything. So I just started drawing this comic strip called Sinkhole. And by the time you know, I started thinking about it, I already had done you know, 30, 40 strips. So it's like, maybe I should put these into a little comic book. Yeah. And then a friend of mine, uh, Bo Frazy, and I started doing this little local underground art magazine that was called Art Riot. Mm -hmm. And so I was putting these strips into that magazine and uh, I don't know, just kind of took on its its own life. Now I've been drawing Sinkhole for like eight, eight or nine years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's, I've been seeing it, or at least, you know, it's been, uh, it's been on my mind or it's been showing up. Mm -hmm. you know, so much and uh, gosh when I wasn't as active perhaps on Facebook and you and I are both like I, at least I, I manage and maintain an artist sort of page on Facebook instead of a website yep. you know and so yeah I see the work and but for a while I wasn't so coming back to Facebook and also it's how you draw too that was a big like the style of the drawing, like in Mad Magazine, you know, that's been discussed in Cracked Magazine, you know, or just Cracked, you know. Uh, I grew up with art styles like that, so to see it, it's just so kind of reassuring. You know? It's not like a safety blanket. I'm not saying, I need your comic scotch, I need them. Like, <laughs> Wrap me up like a warm blanket. Yeah, exactly, you said you'd show up at this time, but it didn't. You could just be honest. You know, like, no, I, you know, I love superhero comics too. I read yeah. Marvel and in DC, and uh, but I was more of a fan of reading Archie comics. I loved Archie, and I loved a lot of those uh, kind of underground comics. There's a guy named uh, uh, Kaz Prapolinas who writes for SpongeBob SquarePants oh, now, okay, okay. and I'm friends with him on Facebook. But he used to do a comic in the '90s that was called Underworld, and it was just this gritty kind of comic strip style, but it was all about this really slummy. Uh, gross city, you know, yeah. and these nasty characters, and I kind of patterned my my sinkhole comic after that. Oh. And I, I just like kind of taking that that artwork style with the like the Archie comics, and then just intermingling it with kind of that kind of subversive. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. There's and something that's... fun about it. That's what I loved about Mad Magazine too. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, you, no matter what they were parodying, it they just kind of drag it down to this <laughs> guttural level. But it, yeah, it's, it's so it's it's funny. I love that. It is. It is funny, and I don't know. It just I was about to say like it strikes a chord or it it grips a person, mm -hmm. you know, and it really holds a person that that's going on. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for oh. so it's not a lost art. Yeah, good, know? good. Well, thanks for thanks for looking at it and finding it yes. funny and not offensive. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't strike everybody the same way. So I get, you know, some people that are offended by it, and, uh -huh. but I I'm a firm believer that everything isn't for everyone. You know, there's some people that really censor their work or they worry about what other people are going to think about it. But I don't think you can go into it that way. If you've got something that you want to create, you just got to create it and how people how people interpret it, that's that's on them, that's not on you. you yes, know? yes, and that's what I do. I teach classes, mm -hmm. at least uh, I'm, uh, I've been asked to instruct classes and whatnot about like illustration and whether it be like superhero comics, uh, I guess genre <clears throat> isn't what I'm asked to do. It's more just the creation, like you're saying. And what I do try and teach people is confidence yeah in those classes and it's mm -hmm. like if you're waiting for permission to do this mm -hmm. you're gonna be waiting a long time you know if you're if there's a letter that's gonna be coming in the mail yeah or arriving right delivered right in the mail and it says hey okay draw this comic now draw sinkhole you know, it's mm -hmm. like, and you're waiting for it like when's that gonna get here and it's yep. like, no just do it just do it absolutely I think no matter how much uh, no matter how talented you are or creative you are you've always got self-doubt I mean people people 
doubt their skills or they doubt, oh, what are people going to think of this? But you, I think you've got to just go ahead and do it. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, and take the leap. That's what I tell people. You, mm-hmm. know, you have to take the leap. And I'm not talking about faith, although that comes up, the leap mm-hmm. of faith. You know, yep. But it's like, you got to take the leap because sometimes objectively it makes no mm-hmm. sense whatsoever. You know, and mm-hmm. you just have to take the risk or something like that to find out. You know, right. oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This yep. is my purpose. So. Before I started self-publishing, I actually approached a few different, uh, the first few things I got published were uh, some directors of some movies I liked. Oh. And I contacted them. Uh, one is Fred Olin Ray, who I've had a pretty good relationship with. He's the director of a lot of 80s B-movies like Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers and Evil Tunes and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, I used to go to his message board all the time. Way back when, before Facebook, you know, people would have message boards and sure. you'd go and talk to a lot of these directors I really enjoyed. Yeah. So. I interviewed him on the radio one day, and after interviewing him, I, I contacted him on a message board and said, you know, I really uh, love your movie, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, and I've always thought that there should be like a graphic novel adaptation of that. And he said, well, you know what, why don't you go ahead and do it? Oh and I my said, gosh. well, I'd, I'd love to. I said, I've always been worried about the costs. And he said, well, I tell you what, he goes, if you want to go ahead and do it, he goes, I'll pay the publishing costs, and then, you know, because I, I can't really pay anything, but I'll give you, you know, however many copies of it you want. So, oh. I, so my Payment was getting like 200 copies of it, you know, did the artwork. And then that was my first time venturing to like ValleyCon, sitting at a table and saying, here's what I've done. Yeah. (laughs) Hollywood Chainsaw. (laughs) Look at this, Fargo. Hurry on over. (laughs) What do you think? But that led me into a whole bunch of other stuff because I've done comic books for uh, uh, another company called uh, Alternative Cinema. And they do what you would call like soft course spoofs of movies so oh, that's sure. that's where i got to draw on spider babe and i did uh the bra avengers oh goodness oh goodness <laughs> yeah so i've done a bunch of their movies in comic book form and then i just kind of started self-publishing after that sure sure and oh gosh there are so many questions there's so many questions i can ask i mean the immediate one the one i was going to get to was like traditional or physical versus digital mm-hmm. you know and how that's impacted you you know but I love having physical comic in hand. Yes, and so that's what I was going to yeah. totally read. Do read my mind. Mm-hmm. It'll make it so much, so much quicker. You yeah. know, so much. But yeah, it, it, that tactile experience of like turning the page, you know, and mm-hmm. and then drawing it. So knowing a person's going to be doing that. So it's like, okay, this is going to be like, oh, you end one page with like a surprised look on a character's yeah. face or like a surprise right. expression, and then you've got like two-page splash, you know, of something going on. Oh, the layouts and the, yes. the graphics, that's always what intrigued me when I was young, too. Just to, just to, just all the various types of art. That probably more so than the writing, you know, I never was all that, uh, like like I said, not reading a lot of superhero comics, I didn't really follow the story arc and the thread from book to book. I was more interested in how Spider-Man looked, yes. or, you know, or the colors of the costumes, and I like the, I like the goofy comics that, you know, the, the complicated uh, love triangle between Archie and Betty. And oh, <laughs> <laughs> Not really. It's more about just drawing those characters. That's that's what oh, I like. So I would okay. I would use those as reference. And yeah, the smell of the comic book. And, yeah. Yes. Purchasing so- it and having having that collectible sitting on your shelf there that you go to anytime, as opposed to having to you know bring up a file and looking at it. I've never been as intrigued in the, the digital as much yes you know zach had just sent me some links to indie comics that he was gonna or that he can talk about you know, mm-hmm. it's, i haven't read them myself i've just been producing that comic you know that i handed to you i haven't been reading too much and you know what there's a question all right so you're you've got influences or you have been influenced all right and then when do you stop 
with the influences and you know, okay, I can't keep reading that because I got to come up with something that's oh. mine, you know? I, you know, I think that stuff kind of develops on its own. When sure. I, the first couple of strips of sinkhole that I did, I was kind of patterning it off of Underworld, but I kept making my own characters and pretty much they all took on their own. I, you know, I can't, I can't analyze it too deeply because it's, <laughs> it's all just pretty guttural jokes. They're more just like those little gag bag you know, three panel strips, but I've gotten more to where I'm doing lengthier stories. In fact, I did a full length, full color graphic novel this last, uh, I, that I just finished up called Sinkhole Summer. Mm -hmm. And I did the whole thing uh, as like a spoof of, of like 80s teen sex comedies, which I grew up watching a lot sure. of. I did too. Yeah, did you ever watch like USA Up All Night? They don't yes, I was just thinking about yeah. that. Yeah, and Gilbert Godfrey, he was the yep. host for me. He Gilbert was, Godfrey, like, and then Ron DeShear also, okay. and they'd always have those movies like, uh, bikini drive-in yes. or you know yes. joysticks and that type of stuff <laughs> so that's that's kind of what I wanted to do so I took all of the characters that I drew in sinkhole and started putting them in these like 1980s teen sex comedy situations and all the gags and you know there's a there's an authority figure named Mr. Landgrab that's trying to take over the arcade so yes. the kids have to save the arcade and they have a big bikini video game contest and so that one ended up being like 48, 50 pages, and it's oh. and I did it all full color because I really wanted to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, sometimes that stuff just takes a life uh, a life of its own. On. Yes, it does. Yes, and it I does. actually did. Here's what I do like about the the, the digital. Okay. Um, I've taken some of my comics and actually done like little short like videos of them, but I can't really do the animation. Oh. So what I do is this cheap cheap ass animation. <laughs> <laughs> I'll draw okay. the characters and then cut them out like paper puppets, sure. put a little stick on them, oh. draw the background, and then I film, film them with my iPad. I've watched this, I've watched yeah. this, yes. <laughs> kind of wiggle them around and I put a soundtrack to it and then oh. I go into iMovie and I'll edit it all up. And okay. it, it looks like a nice, I mean, it, it looks kind of like a cartoon. If I could make the mouths move, I think it would be pretty close. But. Yes, I think so. But again, it's, it's one of those things where you just, you gotta find your own shortcut to doing it. I couldn't find anybody to animate it or anybody that was willing to do it without a big paycheck, which yeah. I didn't have. So sure. it's like, well, I'm just gonna make it myself then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it can cost quite a bit of money. And, uh, like, and that's what I've been doing now. It's like, I could uh, illustrate something, I could animate something, I could edit something, but it's like, you know, some people just need a break. And yeah. but I mean, like big, uh, for them, it's a big break mm -hmm. or something like that. And not like, a rest, but you know, an opportunity. Some people need an opportunity, so that's what I've been attempting yeah. to provide. So I go on like Fiverr and I go on mm -hmm. uh, forums. You know, I just look up animators or illustrators looking for work. Yeah, yeah. Know? And so, uh, and I've got a lot of really talented friends that you know provided voices for okay. the characters, and uh, you know, which was great because working in radio too, I know a lot of people that are pretty animated and goofy <laughs> <laughs> that are more yes. than happy to throw a silly voice down if you need them to. Yes. But there's also something to be said for, for just doing it yourself and not having to rely on other people. You know, if you've got to rely on somebody else's timeline to animate something or to ink something for you, it's a lot easier to just do it yourself. Yes, yes. And that's what I found, you know, it's like, um, and again, it goes back to having uh, not so much the time because if it's a passion or something like that, of mm -hmm. course there's the time. Uh -huh. You know, it just it, it gets. Well, I was about to say manifested, but it just happens. Mm -hmm. You know, it just you find spaces during the day where okay, I'm going to do this now. Yeah. And the the level of commitment or dedication to the work you're doing must be, for perhaps for some people, uh, really just I don't know about a mystery, but it's kind of <laughs> like 
You know, it's like, what do you mean we can't hang out? Like, you, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, what? I've been your friend for so many years or something. I'm not saying that's happening, but I just that's happened yeah. to me. That's happened to me. I do it just pretty about every spare minute I, I have. I sit and try to grab my my sketchbook or whatever and work on that. Yeah. But you know, I, I play in a little musical duo and and I'm married and I've got things that I do outside of radio. So it, it is tough to find the time to do all of yes. that. Yes. But again, I think it's like if you're a creative person, it's just about getting it out there you got things that you want to you want to finish up you want to put it out there and you find the time you make the time yes yes you know and then yeah it's there yep you know and um i think that's what some people are just so or find so off-putting and what with the idea of oh i gotta get a job it's like you're just talking about cons and mm -hmm. going to expos and okay so with this college uh, organization or club that we started um, or I guess really started, you know, it was there, but you know, we really took it and turned it, transformed it into something that would benefit so many students, um, or potential artists and whatnot. But anyway, so the college was paying for people to go to Chicago to C2E2. Oh. Okay. It would pay for this club to go there and talk to professionals or individuals in the industry. And it's like so many of the students would be like, oh, I have to go there. I have to get a portfolio put together. I have to get this job. I have to get, you know this position or something like that, you know, and then start working my way up something. And it's like, no, you don't have to, you just have to produce. Mm -hmm. And because you do that, and that's what I found as a musician, okay? It's like, uh, our father was a musician, his father was a musician. It's like, just perform. If you do that, you know, and if you love what you're doing, you will get work. People will say, yeah. oh my gosh, that set, that set was just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Can you play, can you play at this venue? Right. At this day? So it's like, that's what I tell people. It's like, just produce, produce your own story. Produce your I heard own some of your goofy songs. I enjoy oh, them. Really? You did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love it. So you sit and you, you do the guitar parts and the vocals and the yes. lay down the drum track and all that. Yes. Well, I grew up in our father's music store. Right. Okay. So sure. it's like at working, well, I was just a kid in there, you know, and then, yeah, I would work there too. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was my first job, but it's like in between like what a chore uh, tasks that I was supposed to be doing. Um, I would sit down and just start playing mm -hmm. an instrument, you know, yeah. so now I just do that. You know? Isn't that funny, the things that are, are fun that you just do when you're younger, there's a certain destiny to it too, because oh, yes. I used to, every day after school, I had a couple of buddies and we would go up in my room, come home from school, turn my little boombox on and we would make up like goofy songs, we'd record songs, I had a drum machine and a guitar and stuff, so we'd write comedy songs, or we'd write com do comics together, stuff that we'd staple and hand out amongst our friends, you yes. know? And then I feel like all that stuff was, was like a, a school for me to get, because yes. once I got in radio, it was so much easier. It's like, oh wow, I don't have to sit here with two tape recorders to try and do an overdub. <laughs> it's like, this equipment is all just set up for me to do this. It was, yes. it was so much easier, but I had already kind of been doing that before. Yes. And now I still make stupid tapes with my friends. You know, <laughs> now there's an internet where you can put those things out there for everybody to see. Yes, yes there is. And you're totally, like, you're preaching to the choir here. You're, I, I grew up, it's like, yeah, our father being a disc jockey, you know, and a broadcaster, or just an individual who yeah, was on Davey. television. Yes, yes. You know, but it's like, uh, I, I tell people it's like, especially growing up in this area too, Fargo, Moorhead, North Dakota, Minnesota, it's sort of like growing on a, up on a farm too. Mm -hmm. The discipline that you have, sure. you know, to get up and early, like to get up early in the morning, to get the job done, make certain it was done, you know, really well, yeah. you know, the way it was supposed to be done. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, take the break or be done with the work day or something like that. And so for me, it was like that, <laughs> my father's music store was a farm, but it's like, <laughs> I was working there too. So yeah. it's sort of like that, you know? And it's like, yeah, I didn't know all the lessons I was learning. Mm -hmm. Exactly, to your point, it's like, 
All yeah. of that made me ready. You know, it's like, yeah, now I can just, uh, what, uh, having a familiarity myself with like radio and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can sit and I can just talk and I can, you know. Sure. And, you, and you're making these podcasts yes. now where you're using those skills, you're using, yes. your, you're using your art, you're using your music. I can't tell you how many, so I've been in radio in Fargo for 25 years, a little over 25 years. And every morning show I've been on, and every show, I've always used those other skills because we've got a segment we're going to do. We need a little theme song or an intro. I'll quit going in the studio with my acoustic <laughs> and I'll make up a funny song as an intro. You know, all these shows we've done have had those, or I'll draw the caricature of our show and then that's what's on the website for our morning show. And okay. So, yeah, it's, it's neat how all those skills kind of come together later in life. Yes, yes, it's it is. destiny. I don't know. No, yeah, it totally is. You know, it's like, and that's what I tell people. It's it's about purpose. It's about, I don't know, about fate. You know, I was just about to start, like, bringing a quantum leap or something. Pontificating. Like that. In the <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Ghostbusters, you know, I don't know if it's what fate or yeah. karma. <laughs> but Speaking of which, do you think that new Ghostbusters looks pretty awesome? Yes, I, I do believe that it does. I am psyched for it. Yes, it's going to be, uh, I was just talking about it probably being a swan song. Mm -hmm. For those characters yeah. that we've known and loved for so long, but, but I see that uh, yeah, it looks like Bill Murray's in it. Is anybody is is Ackroyd in it? Yeah, as far as I know, like okay. at the end of one trailer, the, the trailer that I did just mm -hmm. see while going to see Jungle Cruise. Okay, okay, which I do recommend. It's it's a ride. Good. It's based on a ride, and it mm -hmm. is a ride. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then you can walk away from it. Um, but yeah, at the end of the trailer that I did watch before that feature film, uh, they. There's a phone ringing, and then See, I thought that was, picks it up. I thought that was Bill Murray's voice. Oh, there, okay. I do it? believe it was because it oh. looked like Ray's occult books from. Oh, the so it might be Ackroyd. Well, okay. Like, well, I know the Murray's involved, so it sounds like Ackroyd must be involved too. Oh, that's yes. going to be good. And then it's got kind of a Stranger Things vibe to it because you got the, the kids in there. And that's yes. going to be good. I just saw Suicide Squad, and oh. I know that you're a DC fan. Yes, I am. I'm supposed to be anyway. Yeah. So much. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. It's. Uh, I'm not as big of a DC fan. I do like some of the comics, but I'm, I'm, I don't think that the films have been executed as well as they should be. Yeah. And I think that uh, bringing James Gunn on board for this one, holy cow, he did such a good job. It depends on what, what you like about these movies, because it is, it is definitely a very, <laughs> it's, it's not your early 2000s PG, uh, you know, family-friendly superheroes anymore. Sure. It very much leans to that hard R, Deadpool territory. Sure. So vulgar and gross and funny, but so well done. I, I was. This is probably, next to Wonder Woman, my favorite DC movie that's been made. It's so good. Okay, okay, yeah. I I guess I haven't seen it yet, but just knowing, like reading some of mm -hmm. kind of who was being cast and yeah, who Idris, was going to be portraying what Idris character. Elba and John Cena and... Uh, Nathan Fillion. See, now, yeah. like, yeah, uh, like when I found out who he was playing, mm -hmm. it's like, wait a second, yeah, this is going to be totally very, very violent. <laughs> yeah, and then you had uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone doing the voice of the, the shark. The, the oh, yeah, shark. King Shark, right? Yeah. <laughs> and true to form, James Gunn has him, you know, pretty much ripping a guy in half. Oh. And it's, but but it's, it's so well done. You know, James Gunn directing it, too, from Guardians of the Galaxy, and he did Slither, yeah, which had a a certain amount of gore, so you got to know there's going to be some of that involved. But yeah, he did a he did a great job. I really liked it. I thought it was a uh, hundred times better than the one from 2016. Oh yes, yeah, but, I, I do believe that was a misfire. And yeah. a lot of their films are just misfires. I suppose mm -hmm. you know it's like they, I don't know if they got important. everything ready. You know, everything ready, and then you watch it, and it's like <laughs> they've what? got all the money. You yeah. know, and it seems like they'll. Right up until it comes out, you're excited about it, and then you see it in theaters, and there's always just a little twinge of, oh, this could have been done a lot better. Yes. I don't know. I don't if it's the writing or the directing or what. Mm -hmm. But and yet, 
I don't know that there has been a Marvel movie other than probably some of the X-Men ones that I've actually been disappointed in. I think all the Marvel ones always just knock me off my seat. Well, yes, yes. Although, like, uh, not to put them down and not mm-hmm. to be critical or oh, overly we critical. We all have opinions, yes. I'm supposed to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're, they're assembled. You can tell they're assembled. And I'm not oh. saying manufactured. I'm mm-hmm. not saying, you know. They've definitely found a formula. Yes, they're yeah. assembled and you kind of know, oh, okay, this is going to be coming, mm-hmm. this is going to be coming, and then it's really not going to end, which is great. That's just, like, tantalizing mm-hmm. and that's, that's just... Uh, delicious comes to mind like they were delicious because it's like oh good there's yeah. going to be more oh you know, there's going to be more and dc is, is latched onto that too of course there's end end uh, title sequence where you're like oh oh what's coming oh, up now you know one for yes. the suicide squad yeah oh thank you for letting me know you don't yeah. have to say what it was but I now i know okay you know wait. what and this is funny because i saw somebody say the other day on online that oh I'm so upset because this guy totally put a spoiler out and ruined Suicide Squad for me. <laughs> I feel like with these movies, is there is there anything that's really going to spoil it for you that much? I mean, Suicide Squad is just a big, dumb, loud. You know, it's it's a it's kind of a parody of, of super villains. I mean, all there's so many ridiculous characters in it. Is there anything that's gonna that somebody's gonna say about it that's really gonna ruin it for you? I, not I for me, not yeah. for me. I'll say that. Since I don't know you're talking why, to me right now. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I don't no. know why some people get so upset about spoilers. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you how it ends. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the credits roll. Right. The, the credits roll. <laughs> Enough yeah. said. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I tell people, it's like, I'm not going to just liken it to life itself. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know something's coming. You know, or people tell me something's coming, but I'm still going to, you know, pay attention. Yeah. I'm still going to experience it because just because you told me that something's going to happen doesn't mean <laughs> I know how it's going to happen. Right. In the context of yeah, that's true. But I yeah, I love the. I mean, even though I didn't read a lot of the, the comic books, I do love the superhero movies and Black Widow, which I, I just saw too. That oh, one was I phenomenal. Didn't, I didn't see that one. Zach and I were talking about that yeah. one and what the lawsuit that Scarlett Johansson had filed. Yeah. Against Disney. Which you know I'm. I, I, I can't feel too sorry for her because I know she's still getting millions of dollars, more oh, sure. than more than I'll ever see in my lifetime. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, she should get paid what she's deserved, what she's deserved for that. Yes, you know, and I guess to bring it back to kind of what you do, I do hope that you get everything that you deserve with all the work that you've been doing well, with thanks. your own comic. Yes, you know. Speaking, like... speaking of independent creators getting what they deserve, oh, sure. I just rolled my eyes because I, so I, I love uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone who do South Park. Okay. But uh, <laughs> they just got begged by, I guess, Comedy Central and Paramount or whatever. They were going to, they were going to wrap up South Park. Hmm. They just got paid $900 million dollars. Oh, does that even sound? No, does that even sound real? It's no, like made at that up, point, you know? it's like there's. It's not money. Yeah. It's just you can take things. They got, you can just grab things, right. And you can have. They've been know. given nine hundred million dollars <laughs> to continue doing South Park for. I don't remember what the period of time was, and then they've also been licensed to do like fourteen South Park movies. It's like, <laughs> what on earth? And I'm sure if you're those guys, you, you've got a certain amount of. Well, we've done what we want to do, and we've achieved what we want to achieve. But then, when somebody says, "Here's nine hundred million dollars," how do you say, "You know, yeah"? Well, you know, maybe we maybe we got a few more things we can do with this. On principle, I'm just gonna. Yeah. I say no. <laughs> yeah. So I was baffled when I saw that. Just to think that they started out the same way. They were just, you know, filming these little paper cutouts. Yes. These, the totally vulgar, raunchy comedy. But yeah. boy, has that blossomed into a huge franchise. Yes, it has. And they're, they're like, that ought to offer people so much hope, even though mm-hmm. it's so vulgar or something. It, it is, so yeah. disgusting, but it's like, yeah, it can start so simply, mm-hmm. right? 
and then become something that's so huge or so, I suppose, integral, yeah. you know, or, you know, profitable, right. or something like that. Yeah, I'll never fault, like when people say, oh, that guy sold out, you know, I'll never fault somebody for, you know, taking that, because th those offers don't always come along. When I talk about uh, Underworld, which was done by Kaz, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, I used to read that in the 90s, and it was the simple little black and white strip, and, you know, pretty vulgar, you'd find it in a lot of the little underground books like Weirdo and things like that. And now he, he draws, or he, he uh, excuse me, he does some of the, the uh, design, like the little storyboards and stuff, but he writes for SpongeBob SquarePants, and then that has ventured off for him doing stuff for the, the Patrick Starr show, which is on oh, now, okay. and Camp Coral, and I mean, who would have thought that somebody who starts off doing that independently would end up working for Nickelodeon? Uh -huh. So there's hope for all of us. Yes, there is, you know, and it's really, uh, what, it's persistence. Mm -hmm. It's just continuing to do it. It's yeah. making making your passion your mission, you know, and making that your job. Especially when people say, I don't get it, what, it's not funny, what, uh, they have all these, as you, opinions, you know, yeah. opinions. And what I attempt to teach people in classes and what I do succeed in teaching people in classes is that the difference between opinion and feedback, okay? Opinion is a visceral, emotional response to something. Mm -hmm. That's what the person's telling you, you know? It's bad, so what? Right, you know, like, they're allowed to yes. say that I don't like this and you're allowed to say, well, don't read it. Exactly. I'm, gonna yep. I'm going to continue to make it. Uh -huh. But if they start telling you, well, you know, if you did this on this page, you'd make it more, what, it's like, Oh, then I'd understand what's going on on the next page mm -hmm. if you like displayed something. It's like, right. that's feedback. Exactly. And that's, that's necessary. You know? For sure. Listen for sure. to that. Yep. You know? But not somebody telling you that uh, this is this is not worthy of being put out. So oh, not. no. Yeah, because they're not, they're not the authority on that. Even if they say they're the authority, right, or they have some sort of credential or something mm -hmm. like that, it's like, you're only here for a little while. I'm only here for a little while. So I'm just going to do it anyway. Yep. You know? <laughs> By the time I die, I want as much of my stuff out there as I can. Oh I'm just going to just gonna keep making it. Oh, yes, yes. And then, yeah, people see it. And that inspires them. You know, it motivates them. You know, as, it's, as I had said, you know, it's like really self-publishing. You know, it's like for me. I was like, the pandemic was going on, and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do while the pandemic's going on? You know, and I saw some of your work that was just being produced, and it's still happening. It's like, you know what? I could do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I could uh, put something together. I could hire artists, help them out during this. Right, and know, never crisis. has it been more affordable. I think we live in a day and age where, it, you know, it may be cost prohibitive a few years back to put yeah. out your own book, but now you can you know, go to Kablam Printing, or again, mm -hmm. I don't remember where Comics Wellspring. Yeah, Comics Wellspring. Right, and a lot of those companies, you can print as little or as many as you want. You could print, you know, 25 comics, or you can print, you know, 500 comics, whatever you want to do. Yeah. You know, so I, I found you spend a couple of hundred bucks, but then you can go sell it at five bucks a copy at ValleyCon or whatever and make yes. your money back. Hey, at least you're, you're doing something and people are seeing it. Sure. Gosh, you sell yours for five, I was selling mine for three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All my first ones that were selling for four, I'm up the ante. I'm going for the big bucks now. Five dollars. Five dollars. Yes, you get one bill with that. <laughs> yep, yep. No change. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Streamline the whole operation. Oh, okay. And do you incentivize it to, or I mean, like, <laughs> attempt to not, like, trick people or coerce them, but it's like, I made, you know, oh, like walk up and be like, buy my comic book or I'm gonna follow you. Yeah, Sinkhole 4, I did a reverse cover. So there's a, there's a cover on the front and the gag is it says, hey fellas, if if you're, if the the girlfriend or the mom is around, leave this cover up, which is the nice wholesome cover. Oh, they flip it over and then there's kind of a provocative cover oh, on sure. the back. So sometimes I'll have both covers facing up <laughs> on the on the uh, table and I've had people come up and, okay, well, I'll take a copy of this one and a copy of oh, this one no. and a copy of that one. 
but I can't do it. I've always said, um, that's actually the same book. It's just got the, yeah. the flip cover. You know? Oh my goodness. I was about to say you can. <laughs> That'd be an extra $4 in my pocket. I if suppose I were to do that. so. Yes. Yeah. Like, how many, like the cell phone bill would be taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just got flipping it over. Fleecing the public. I suppose so. Yeah. I can't do that. Either. I no. can't do that. It's kind of like. Oh my gut. This Lutheran upbringing, this Norwegian Lutheran upbringing, would just the guilt would eat me up. Oh, inside, really? So. Okay, okay. I don't know if I'm dealing with that. I think it's just uh, <laughs> oh, pesky morals, maybe. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's more of that, just ethics and conscience, and then, like doing unto others is having done. Like, so it's okay. not really like I don't know how to feel bad about it. It's just like, meh. Yeah. I don't need the. <laughs> I don't need that sort of. I don't, I don't, I don't need the karma. Oh yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have produced a poster for that. Yeah, that's a great print. The yeah. colors are awesome. So that's the, and you shot that out. Somebody else did the coloring. Yes, and the, yes, yeah. and that's yeah, that's really that's a South American uh, colorist. He's in Venezuela. Oh yeah, yes, it's really lush. It, yeah. it really is, yep. you know. And it wasn't. I didn't just go with this uh, artist uh, because it was cheap or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was just really. And I've been talking to an individual about this. Like, how do you find people? To work with or how do you find people to hire mm -hmm. and it's really just having a conversation I have a conversation yeah. with the person yeah i look at the work that the person produces but it's mm -hmm. like what does the person say what promises does this person make and it's like i know now it's kind of like yeah it's totally unrealistic and you're not <laughs> listening to what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people talk a big game yeah it's fun to get you know that's another thing though it's, it's really neat when you make friends in the industry and you meet other people that have that are like-minded uh, creatively i've got a friend named Kit Lively that I met, we were both uh, doing artwork for Hustler at the same time, and we were doing Hustler, uh, work for uh, Nat, uh, uh, Cracked Magazine at okay. the same time. And he's done, boy, he's done writing for uh, National Lampoon, mm -hmm. and he's written for Mad Magazine, and him and I have collaborated on a few things. And it's just neat to to know somebody else that's got the same kind of sense of humor and, yes. you know, is also in the business. So whenever we get a chance, we'll, we'll, we'll put each other into contact with people if we oh, find sure. little jobs that we might find appropriate to do. Well, yes. Yeah. That's, that's really thoughtful. That's My neat. goodness. Yeah, I, I haven't, no, guys. I was about to say I haven't made friendships like that or something, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just I just share with people. You yep. know, it's like, and that's really, and I'm not saying that what you're doing, like I need to make friends so we can network or something, because mm -hmm. that's very necessary. It's very necessary, you know, in I guess being an indie sort of, mm -hmm. you need work, you need to find work, and your friends help you with that. Sure, you know? it's like, and I guess you know, I didn't thought about it that way, but the, the networking thing, it's more like. Uh, there's a lot of other cartoonists I found just on Facebook and Instagram, and you kind of start sharing artwork with each other. And then, so uh, lately I've been doing artwork for, for Jack FM, for the, the, the national Jack FM, oh. and it's getting to be a little bit overwhelming. Oh, so no. the the, uh, the the guy who's in charge is, well, if you know any other cartoonists that would want to take on the overflow, so I contacted this other guy I know who's a really good cartoonist, and now it sounds like he's going to start doing some of that with me as well. So yeah, it's just when you know somebody else's is kind of of that same mindset it's nice to spread the opportunity around yes yes yeah. and that's and, and i wasn't trying to split hairs or anything like that mm -hmm. like we <laughs> i'm not gonna say what he's saying i'm talking yeah. about being like a human being being right, like right. what uh, being relational and not just like business or transactional or something gotcha. but no no i guess i don't i don't encounter um i just make you know mm -hmm. and then friends just make and we don't really say here's this job that you could fit into or something like that but that's probably going to be coming up that's probably going to yeah. be coming up to be realistic and to be honest you know mm -hmm. it's like as other people see our work or you know you know oh this is this person's a perfect fit 
yeah. for this sort of job. Sure. You know, it's like right now, I guess where we're at, where we're at in our careers is more kind of like, what stories am I supposed to be telling? You know, am I supposed to be indie or am I supposed to be like mm. industry or something like right. that? You know, it's like for me, I'm supposed to be indie. I know that. Yeah. Through and through. I'm not supposed to. Like, and again, selling out. It's like, yeah, people are going to give me $900 million. Then you're going to. Yes. <laughs> I'm supposed to say yes. Yes. You know? <laughs> you know? So yeah, I'll do that. But right now it's just more one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. you know, and I suppose more intimacy or something like that, or, you know, more and authenticity. That, yeah. You know? And that corporate machine, I tell you, I think more, more and more it feels like, uh, you know, companies like Marvel and DC, well, you see it happening with the movies now too. Yeah. They're more interested in just keeping the characters going and they don't really, they don't really care about the artist. You know, it doesn't matter who, uh, who's drawing Spider-Man this month, you know, cause they can, they can swap out those artists and the fans for the most part. I don't think really care. They just want to keep seeing the character. As artists, we feel like, you know, I love, I love that guy. How come he's not drawing it anymore? But they're starting to do that with the movies now too. I feel like they're saying, you know, we can we can just put this next movie in a in a parallel universe or in, in a multiverse. And now now it doesn't need to be Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. It could be this guy playing him, and yeah. you know, and the fans probably will accept it and it won't matter. But uh, I don't know. It feels a little impersonal. Like you can just swap out whoever to play the characters i don't know i wouldn't wait off for this though no 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 you're totally you're totally you just you just uh ran across home base and scored a run that won the game for me because it's like we were talking about like traditional comics and digital i think mm -hmm. we we're really discussing that now with movies or it's a, that's something you're talking about where it's like oh you could just swap that out for this yeah. it's like oh you could just stream that or, i heard some talk about about not using Robert Downey Jr. anymore. I don't know if he was opting out or whatever, and they're saying, oh, well, we just keep doing it. It'll just be somebody else's Iron Man. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, wow, you know, I don't think that the, the whole Marvel thing would have taken off as big as it had had they not had Robert Downey Jr. Because those early Iron Man movies were pretty key. Yes, and, you know, were. Before Avengers and all that, that, those were the ones that really took off, mm -hmm. which I thought was weird because Iron Man was such an odd side character to do a movie of to begin with. Yes. They didn't jump right out of the gate with, you know, Spider-Man or, uh -huh. you know, something you would have expected. Captain America. Yeah. Something so, I don't know, so bold, something yep. so recognizable. You know, but those first three Iron Man movies were huge, really. Then you got into all of the, the Avengers and all that. Well, yes, yeah. yes. And so, yeah, there's just something that uh, cannot be replaced, you know, mm -hmm. even though, what, it can be manufactured. And that's that's what I was getting at. Manufacture versus craft, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really, to me, India's craft. Yep. and industry is manufacturing you know, absolutely manu manufacturing and so yeah they can they crafted some really great films with robert downey jr but mm -hmm. now they're manufacturing yeah so they, they, really... they got a formula exactly you keep know? pumping it out you know? there's so always just a, there's a certain percentage of humor a little bit of drama a little bit of action uh -huh. cgi it all together and... yes exactly it's like well we'll just let that you know, mm -hmm. department do that and then yeah put something at the end to keep people you know yep, uh, yep. coming back from something I was really impressed with the new uh, Black Widow movie. Actually, most of the stunts were were done like real time with actors and stunt people, and they didn't do as much of the CGI. They they, they showed a filming sequence that they did with this big car chase, with big elaborate effects, and it was all done, you know, in camera. It was all yeah. an actual actual stunt work. Yeah, traditional. I've gotten so used to just seeing everything done on computer now yes. that. You know, yeah, and it's refreshing when it doesn't look like a computer game and you're watching it like, hey, that's real. Yes, yes, it is, you know, and I, I think people are going to start hungering for that more yeah. or longing for that. And I suppose that doesn't make a lot of sense right now, what I just said, but it's like hungering for reality in their escape or mm -hmm. in their fiction, you know, because it's sure. like, okay, like, uh, what the uncanny valley comes up and you, you must be aware of that. Like, what when 
when something approaches looking so lifelike, your brain just mm -hmm. said no. You know, it's mm -hmm. like with the Polar Express. That's uh, an example. Like, oh yeah, the, the freaky looking faces and that. Like, your brain knows, but that's it's not right. so close, so mm -hmm. they look like reanimated corpses. You know, mm -hmm. it's like oh, those expressions know. aren't real. Yeah, no, no. You know, so that's what I mean by more reality. You can just you now we can tell. Uh, that's there's no there's no element of danger. There's no threat. There's no mm -hmm. even perhaps entertainment after a while. Because it's like yeah, no, it's not real. It's, it's not actual big video game I'm watching. Yes, yeah. and yet that doesn't happen with cartoons because they don't approach reality they're not as close yeah you know Do you like the hand-drawn animation better than the computer animation? oh of course oh, yes of course it's sad that everything's gotten so i mean uh, that's what i love about like the actual spongebob the hand-drawn animation uh -huh. you know and, and all the old uh, warner brothers cartoons that stuff i'm a stodgy old old purist i what? want to see it all done hand, hand drawn <laughs> well, i suppose yeah there's like that, that, that kind of nostalgia yeah. and whatnot that comes with it and also uh, just knowing how much time that takes too, mm -hmm. you know, talk about like commitment, dedication that you have, you know, it's like, yes, sitting and drawing, yes, and writing, frame after frame, yeah, after but frame. yeah, with that, yes, or cell after cell or something like that, you know, it's like, it takes so much, so God bless those people who still mm -hmm. do it, and I mean that, God bless you, hopefully, yeah, there's a special God place bless in you heaven, all. yes, in heaven, for the animators, just for you, <laughs> You know, the directors are somewhere else. I don't know what they're at. The art directors, you know, criticizing or, you know, <laughs> finding all the flaws. And it's like, I bet I've spent a week working on that. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. And it takes so much time, but it's worth it. It really is worth it. You know? For sure. And it's been worth it speaking to you. Well, thank Scott. you. It's been so worth it. It's, we're coming up on, yeah, totally an hour. And it's like, oh, wow, I hit it. I didn't even know. It's nice. Cool. You have that. You well, no, this is, yes, this has been fun, John. Thank yes. you very much. And thanks, Zach. I appreciate being on the show. Oh my goodness, did I have myself a conversation with Noel Scotch Anderson. That just went and went and went. I don't know, Zach, if you've done this before. Talk to a like radio broadcasting personality or on-air talent, but that just, oh my goodness, it flew and flew, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was, you can't even tell how long it was because you're just so enamored with the voice. Yes, yes. You know, and him just talking, like, I wasn't aware how many subjects, you know, that he would bring up. Uh, we just sat down and just started going, and yeah, it was a real conversation. It was a really, really informative conversation. Yes, it was. You know? And then the we started- The beauty of podcasts. Oh, yes, yes. And then we started, like, <laughs> we started geeking out during that conversation. And because of that, like, I, uh, uh, like, I didn't even know The Suicide Squad you could view it that people could watch it you know or that it had well, that was out yeah yes you know, yeah him bringing that up i was like oh my gosh so i, I did start watching some clips of it on youtube uh-oh i did well, <laughs> well i'm right there with you sir because i have got to see it i was actually planning on going to see it tonight but oh okay. um, yeah oh we'll have to do an episode where we do reviews on stuff because it is comic book related and that's what we do on this this podcast we talk about all things comics so yeah it might have to we might have to start doing movie reviews of comics and give our impressions of it because yeah. from what i've heard it's it, it's really good and for what i from what i've seen like on youtube and yeah uh scotch talking about it you know and bringing it up and talking about yes that's a really well done well made film yeah. and this conversation was a really well done really really joyous uh conversation we've had so much fun um let's hope that we get more guests um 
to be as equally, if not more so, fun um, in the future. Yes. Because that's will. the goal. Yes. That's the goal, and we will. I, I know that there are some people, like Scotch had said, that he's, you know, he is gung-ho, he's eager to join us again. Great. So, yeah, thank you to him, and uh, hopefully, yeah, we can talk more about indie comics soon, too. Yes. You know, or once oh, yes. We, we've only scratched the surface. I mean, we could do, you know, part one, part two, part three, you know, of of indie comics and, you know, recommendations. It's going to be a on, continuing, ongoing thing. So look forward to that. Yes. And the sky's the limit. Because mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much content out there. So much content. Yes. And I'm thinking of, like, return. The return of indie comics. The revenge <laughs> of indie comics. <laughs> no, no, indie comics do not plot revenge, okay? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Do not seek revenge. So, well, it, it, it's great that you had fun with this conversation with our friend, Scotch. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, um, but I enjoyed it nonetheless, and we'll definitely have him on in the future. Um, as you said, he's pretty gung-ho to continue. Um, so, yeah, I love to contact, be in contact with him again um, and have my say in that conversation. I don't know. We can edit this part out. I'm just rambling now. Um, <laughs> How about just goodbye? Yeah, just goodbye. Okay. Well, thank you again to Scott for coming on to the podcast. And as always... Have fun, and we'll see you again on a future episode of Comic Space. Goodbye. Goodbye.